Hello, my name is Janine Pettit, and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my little 1966 Go Tag Along vintage travel trailer. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can become a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome. I'm Janine Pettit, girl camping ambassador blogger, adventurist, and podcaster. And this is episode 24 of Girl Camper, the podcast. Well, I am just back from Blackwater Falls State Park, and I was so lucky and happy to have the opportunity to sit down with the superintendent of the most visited park in the state of West Virginia, Blackwater Falls. And I sat down and asked Matt, what is the career track to becoming a park superintendent. And he had some few surprises to tell me in there. And Matt wears a lot of hats in his job, and he's going to share with us all the things a superintendent does and the kind of things that need to be taken care of in the state park and what is there, what's going on at Blackwater Falls. So it, it, we had such a great time there. Matt's going to share all about it with us. But before we talk to Matt, we're going to have our girl camper news roundup. Well, our news today is all about my trip, that which I'm actually still on, to the Canaan Valley in Tucker County, West Virginia. And this is the home of Blackwater Falls State Park. And we came down to scout out location and um, get a lay of the land for our trip that we're having May 12th through 15th. It's a Camp Like a Girl event, Go Girl Go, in Wild Wonderful, Almost Heaven West by God, Virginia. And we are all coming down here to camp, and it's absolutely going to be beautiful. So Jessica Skokoft, who is the director of the Visitors Bureau in Tucker County, took a day and showed us all around the towns that she is so proud of because Jessica's a Jersey girl, and she came down to West Virginia to go to college at Davis and Elkins, which is about 45 minutes away, and she never left. And she is an outdoor girl who enjoys all of these activities there. So Jessica took the day Wednesday and she showed us all around the beautiful park. We hiked down to Blackwater Falls. We took the 224 stairs down to the falls. That was the easy part. Coming back up, not so easy. <laughs> So we, uh, but we made it. Carol and Ginny, Ginny McKinney, our correspondent, girl camper correspondent who joined us because she's a native West Virginian. Ginny came and joined us. We all stayed at the beautiful lodge, which is right on the grounds at the park. Ginny and Carol ran up the steps just to be show-offs. But I huffed and puffed and Jessica was nice enough to wait up for me. <laughs> It was bad. Anyway, I'm working on that. So after we viewed and toured the beautiful park, we, we hiked out to Lindy Point, which is a beautiful over um, a platform that is built out over the canyon. So when you're standing out on it, you can look left or right, and you can see the waterfalls, you can see the lodge across the canyon, and you can see up and down uh, the Blackwater River in the canyon. It was so, so pretty. And it was just so great to be outside and moving around. And even though the weather has been so sketchy and it was calling for rain all day long, we had absolutely beautiful weather. We all had to take our jackets off. It was in the 70s and sunny. It was a little windy, but nothing that we couldn't tolerate in exchange for all that beautiful sunshine and warm air is so great. So after we finished that, Jessica took us into the two towns. So the town of Davis is uh, where Jessica's office is, and it's literally an old mining town. It's It's you're, it's the quintessential don't blink or you'll miss it town. So Davis, West Virginia, is literally under two square miles. The town itself is under two square miles. I'm guessing there weren't 
300 buildings in the whole town and the town itself when you pull into town and you're at the end of main street there were probably 15 buildings on your left and 15 on your right and then you're out of town and that's it it was there's no stop signs there's nothing but the interesting thing about Davis is it's a huge um, destination for the mountain biking community. So every year they have big mountain biking festivals there. And one of the best known and most difficult mountain biking courses in the country is called the Revenge of the Rattlesnake. And it's in Davis and it takes place there every year. So it's a fantastic destination if you're a mountain biker. It's The surrounding hills are beautiful. And then if you just go through the town of Davis, a little further up the road, you get to the town of Thomas. And Thomas is slightly bigger, 5.8 square miles, <laughs> with a population of 586 people at the last census. <laughs> so that town runs right along the Davis or, or the Blackwater uh, River. Now, we drove down there because we were figuring out where we're going to launch our kayaks. We don't want to be kayaking in the gorge because the water is running too fast there, and it's not really a safe place. There's a lot of little falls and rocks, so we're going to be on quieter ground. And so we were scouting out the place, and we drove through this little town of Thomas. It's one of these towns, and you're coming into the town, and the road splits, and everybody has to go right, and there's a one-way street going right, and... And probably 20 buildings in this stretch. And then you do a circle and you come around and you go back out of town. And there's the lower buildings, maybe 20 more. So there were probably 40 buildings in town along the river there going one way and then the other way. And they're right on the river. And that's where we're going to launch our boats. But I was so fascinated with all the shops because these were mining towns that no longer have the revenue and the miners that are there. So some of the things that you see in town, it's a fun tourist destination because they had a lot of interesting artisan shops there. So that I never saw such a high concentration of galleries. So it's turned into a place where people who just want a simple life go to live. And so I stopped in a store there because I just love this kind of thing. And I saw a store and the name of the store was Mud, M-U-D. And he had some beautiful pottery in the window. So it's a pot thrower. His name is Benjamin. And I stopped in with Jessica. Jessica buys the tourist mugs that say Tucker County that she sells in the visitor shop or gives to guests. She buys them from Ben, who throws them on his own potting wheel right there. He has an assistant. Everything is handmade and hand-glazed. Absolutely beautiful work. And guess what? <laughs> He's going to make girl camper mugs for me. So I gave him my logo. <laughs> And I can't wait to see these. And he's going to glaze the inside of the mug red and the outside an aqua color, which are the color schemes in my um, logo. And he, it, it's, it's going to have a stamp on it. He's going to hand make the stamp in a little vintage camper, and it's going to say Girl Camper on it. And I'm so excited to have those made by a local artisan and to support this idea that you're buying something handmade and you're supporting a little town and an artist and some someone's work. So I'm, I'm so happy to be able to validate that. And, and he's working on the prototype. So we don't have them yet. But if you're going through this part of the country, and if you're going to stop at Blackwater Falls, and there's so much to see, and we'll hear all about that in our interview with Matt Baker. But the Canaan Valley, and it's spelled Canaan, just like in the Bible, C-A-N-A-A-N, but everybody there pronounces it Canaan rhymes, uh, uh, rhymes with insane, they keep telling me. Canaan insane. Don't draw a correlation. Everybody was absolutely lovely. <laughs> anyway, so we, we had such a great time there, and I'm so looking forward to our trip that's coming up, but I would like everybody to put this on their uh, to-do list because this part of the country is absolutely gorgeous, and it's it's off the beaten track. I mean, this this is not off the highway. You have to 
be attending, going here on purpose, but it is well worth the sidebar. And there was lots of camping there. There's camping in the park. If you don't want to camp in the park, you have the lodge, which is 54 guest rooms, and you have cabins. I, I, I forget how many cabins they have, but a lot. 20 or 30 cabins, but they sleep six or eight people, and it's a year-round park. So there's so much to do there in terms of the park. It's surrounded by all kinds of preserved farmland. The park itself is only 2,500 square miles, but when you're looking at it, it looks like thousands and thousands because it is surrounded by preserved farmland um, from the state of West Virginia. Anyway, we had a wonderful time in the Canaan Valley with Jessica, and thank you again, Jessica. Thank you, Ben. I can't wait to see my mom. And when as soon as I get them, they'll be on the website so you could order one and support Ben too if you want. And we're going to be back in a minute with our campfire chat. campfire chat today I wanted to share two pieces of mail from last week and I always think it's interesting when the mail comes in that sometimes when someone asks a question I think there are six other people or 20 or 100 other people who have this same question so I was really touched by a letter from Brenda in New Hampshire it was a long letter but I'm taking out the part of the letter in which I thought um, a lot of people would have these same concerns. So Brenda from New Hampshire writes, I started listening to your podcast and I would love to be a girl camper. I am retiring in a year and really want to do something other than more of what I have been doing. My question is this though, over the years I have gained about 50 pounds. Although I am trying to make small changes and get a better attitude about food, I am losing very slowly. Are all of the girl campers fit and active? I want to hike at my own pace and get better along the way, but I wouldn't want to hold people up. Is there a place for people like me in your groups? Well, I want to tell you, Brenda, yes, there is. And the funny thing about the girl campers is it's, it's a, a large part of the group is very fit, and then there's the people who aren't. I mean, it's just like real life. There's people who are really fitness addicted, and they join the group. And those are the ones I talked about in last week's episode about what your style of camping is. Those are our outdoorsy girl campers. They get there. They're very active. They're going places. They're doing things. They're hiking. They're kayaking. They're mountain biking. God bless them. <laughs> it's never going to be me. But I feel it's a big accomplishment for, for me if I even go on a five-mile hike, have lunch, and five miles back. That is huge for me. So there is a spot everywhere in the group for you, Brenda. And you don't have to be concerned that you're going to be slowing people down because there's plenty of people who will pace themselves to you and be perfectly happy doing that. And as you join and become more active, even when you're not camping, you're going to find yourself really enjoying going for a walk and a hike in your own backyard, in your own neighborhood. And it's actually going to help you to Continue keeping that mindset of someone who makes healthy choices for themselves all the time. When you choose to do something outdoors, you're choosing better health. It's You're not sitting around in front of the television. You're not using your time to do sedentary things. And just being in the environment around these women, it's very encouraging. I'm never going to be one of these mountain biking sisters on the fly. Mountain bikes don't appeal to me at all. <laughs> that looks like so much work. But just being able to hike, and now I own a kayak, and doing things that I never did before, I have found that within the group, there's just a lot of encouragement for being the best you can be or want to be at your stage, at your age, wherever you are in life. And also, I want to tell you that there are a lot of girl campers who have had knee replacements are working on a convalescing from a rotary surgery. There's all kinds. We get to a certain age and stuff is breaking down and we can't do everything at the pace we want to do, but at least we're doing something. And, you know, we always talk about the food too, where there's a lot of people and everybody enjoys the cooking and sometimes we make really unhealthy things. But lots of times when you're sitting around that campfire, 
they're not using the trip as an excuse to just load up on candy bars and all kinds of loaded brownies. I mean, sometimes people bring that stuff, but there's a lot of people who are saying, you know what, I went on a 10-mile hike today or a 6-mile hike, and I'm not going to eat a brownie around the campfire now tonight. I'm going to make a healthy choice for myself. So you're moving in a direction of good health choices for yourself, and there's always somebody in the group who's going to help you, and they're going to go at your pace. I'll volunteer. I'll go at your pace, because guess what? It's probably my pace too. You're probably not in nearly as bad shape as you think you are. But joining will certainly put you in an environment of people who are making good choices for their health too. So Brenda, please don't let that stop you. You're going to be fine and you're going to find people to do things with and we'll enjoy having you on board. So I have another little note here from Anne from Maryland. And Anne writes... Please tell us about the music on your podcast. Who plays it? Is it the same people as RVFTA? It makes me happy. Well, and it makes me happy too, and I'm happy that it makes you happy. So Stephanie Puglisi, my producer, who also produces the RV Family Travel Atlas podcast with her husband, Jeremy, chose the music. And Stephanie had put together a couple things that she thought that I would like, and she played them for me. And as soon as I heard that piece of music, I chose it. And I chose it because my dad was a banjo player, and I grew up on bluegrass music and banjo and guitar and our whole family sat around the campfire singing the Rock Island line (laughs) and it was just a wonderful, wonderful way to grow up and when someone has the gift of music in your family, it sort of never leaves you and so I I just chose that that piece of music because um, of my own family background and it, it just spoke to me. So thank you for mentioning that. You can purchase music for a podcast or for anything that you're doing in which you need a little theme song from companies that just write and perform music for that purpose. My girlfriend's son, Josh, does that. He's a talented musician, and he composes theme songs for people. And I actually wanted Josh to do my theme song, but he was so, so busy that he couldn't do it. And by the time he he was able to, Stephanie had found this piece of music. But anyway, that's where the theme song music came from, and I'm glad you wrote in and asked about it, Anne. And it's going to be there forever because we paid for it in perpetuity. It's always going to be connected with the show. So we're going to be back in a minute and we're going to be talking to Matt Baker from Blackwater Falls State Park. Matt is the superintendent and he's going to give us all the scoop on what it takes to become a superintendent of a state park. It's an interesting career track. We'll be back in a minute with Matt. I'm here today with the superintendent of Blackwater Falls State Park in wonderful, wild, beautiful, no wait, I have already messed that up, wild, wonderful, almost heaven, West by God, Virginia. I'm here with Matt Baker, superintendent of Blackwater Falls State Park. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. So we're we're down here because we're visiting your beautiful park because we're going to have an event here, our Go Girl Go event. Are, are you ready for 60 women to descend on you? Here? I guess as ready as I ever be. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've been online looking at our crazy adventures, so you've been so accommodating in helping us pull this all together and um, giving us this beautiful tour, the facility and everything today. And I, I'm so happy that you're willing to sit down and talk because there's so much to see and know about this beautiful park. Absolutely. And, and just to say, we're looking forward to having you all here and it's going to be an exciting event and hopefully the weather is good and we'll have a great weekend. Hopefully, please God. But we're going to have fun no matter what because that's our attitude. Well, Matt, one of the things when um, Jessica said to me, would you like to meet Matt, our superintendent, I really was excited. But I'm so glad you're here because I have always wanted to know, how does one become a superintendent? You're a young guy. You're you got to be still in your 20s. Oh, no. Believe it or not, I'm 37, so I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, my appreciate gosh. That. Okay. So you look m- much younger. You, I appreciate that. Okay. So th- this must be a peaceful, relaxing job, huh? Well, that's a <laughs> little bit of a misnomer sometimes for a park superintendent, but it's just like any other job. You have good days and bad. And uh, I started 
with Parks um, right out of high school and mm-hmm. pretty much didn't know what I wanted to do. And I worked the summer for the grounds maintenance crew for a state park and just really fell in love with not only the outdoors. I mean, I've always loved the outdoors, but certainly fell in love with being able to help provide that opportunity for other people. Mm. Um, so did you grow up here in west virginia no actually i grew up on the east coast in delaware and i grew up on a farm so again that helped kind of pull me to the outdoors so you were outdoor by nature i spent yes many days outdoors just running Mm -hmm. around uh in the woods and on the farm and so i always enjoyed working with my hands you know it's kind of a you know goes right hand in hand with growing up on a farm and like i said worked on maintenance crews in a state park and then decided that that's what i wanted to go to college for and um Came out to West Virginia to Davis and Elkins College, which is only about 45 minutes from where we are now. And uh, got my bachelor's degree in recreation management and tourism. Recreation management and tourism. is it, I didn't even know such a program existed. Is, is that a common? Uh, the, it's very common. It, a lot of different colleges and universities have a slightly different name for the program. Okay. It may be Parks and Rec. Um you know, outdoor rec, adventure rec, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of different variations. Uh, my program not only focused, it didn't focus solely on parks, whereas a lot of programs um, focus on parks per se. Mine was um, overall tourism. So it was everything from hospitality management to food service to the which really sets you up for the superintendent job. Sure. Because one of the things we were talking about earlier is um, all the hats you wear as a superintendent. But before we talk about that, you tell us how this all came about. Because um, was it your goal to be a superintendent? Yeah, it was. And again, I was working for Delaware State Parks out of college. I held several different jobs, but they were all our seasonal jobs, what we call um, so they were temporary and not full-time. And did you have to do um, all kinds of other jobs to keep your foot in the door at the park? Like when you were working seasonally, what were you doing in the winter? Well, I was actually blessed in with Delaware State Parks that it was a year-round. I would switch positions, but I was able to stay employed year-round. And again, I use the term seasonal loosely, which pretty much just means you're an hourly employee, which means you're not salary, you don't get the benefits and all that that a salaried employee gets. But I would work in the summertime as a naturalist and run a nature center at a state park there. And then in the winter, I worked doing different wildlife, um, well, natural resources management programs that were within the Delaware State Parks. And what does that mean, natural resources management? Um, of course, you know, being in state parks, we're not only providing recreation opportunities and things for guests, we're preserving a unique feature in nature and mm-hmm. or, you know, here, of course, it's the waterfall, um, many different parks, it may be a lake or, you know, some sort of natural area that's important. So what we did in that department was um, a lot of invasive species control. Uh, oh, so it's not, species. you're not protecting uh, the park from visitors who are picking all the wildflowers and, you know, uh, peeling bark off trees. You're actually looking at what's happening ecologically. Exactly. In that position, you know, there's some, of course, of the other side of not okay. just pick wildflowers, uh, but, yeah. but in that position at the time I was doing um, invas- mostly invasive plant species control. Of course, on the East Coast, um, it's becoming a very bad problem nationwide, of course. But the kudzu. Uh, well, we didn't have kudzu. That was we were a little far north for kudzu, but uh, we had any number of invasive plants um, that just take over. And what we were doing was actually um, killing them, mm-hmm. whether different methods, uh, cutting them or pulling them or spraying them with chemicals. Um, so I did that, and we also did um, uh, deer population control programs, and as well as resident geese control programs. Yeah, so with the resident geese, because that just drives me nuts, there's a park by us where uh, the geese have just taken it over. Every footpath is covered with geese poop, and it's just not even fun to go to the park anymore. It's just just bad. And it can cause environmental issues. Um, They'll kill a pond. If you get enough fecal material in the yeah. in the water, they produce the a fish. lot of that. <laughs> yes, they do. So, did you do that with the dogs that they bring in? Um, well, mostly what we did was we got permits. Geese are managed under the Migratory Bird 
so it's a federal thing because they're a migratory bird. Um, but we got permits to addle eggs. What does that mean? That means um, you would go take to them the, out of the nest. Yes, you would take the eggs. Well, what you do is you either um, usually you coat them with a, a environmentally friendly oil, which is typically mm-hmm. corn oil. Okay. So it just makes the eggs infertile. They oh. won't develop. Um, oh. So it. Helps so you, do you coat them and then put them back you in put the them nest? Back in the nest. So the mother is sitting on them. <laughs> That seems kind of mean. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, what happens if you take the eggs? She'll relay. Okay. And um, so if you leave the eggs, then mm-hmm. they just don't develop. And okay. It helps. And so at some point, do those birds just move on? Like Eventually, those they, they get the picture like something's not working here. Right. Let's, let's move to somebody else's state park and make it right. a problem <laughs> for them. Right. Yeah, in theory, you would hope that if they don't have success nesting at your site, that they... Unfortunately, maybe move on to someone else's problem, I guess. Um, at the park where um, there are problems for me, and I went to college at uh, Ryder College in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and you, the, the geese there were terrible. Mm-hmm. All the uh, dorms and the, um, the student buildings, the geese poop was all over, and so they, they actually brought in a pair of swans mm-hmm. to put in their big pond there, and the swans were very aggressive and didn't like the geese, and eventually they reduced the population there. Sure, and that just, yeah, the swans keep them, get them moving somewhere else. Yeah, so what is deer control like, deer population growth? Is that just a hunting season, or is that there is other... That is hunting season, typically, is what uh, what we did in Delaware Parks and what West Virginia State Parks has implemented over, well, I think 2000 was the first year that we did it on a West Virginia State Park. But we call them um, controlled hunts or managed hunts. And what we do is we um, close sections of the park to the public for a couple of days. And then we um, actively manage to hunt. In other words, we put hunters in a certain spot to keep it safe, particularly. Um, We don't necessarily let hunters go on their own and hunt all over throughout the park. We have set sites that we put them and they have to hunt at that site. And that helps us not only um, thin the population, but it gives us a um, way to do it to where the meat's being used. Um, yeah. And in Delaware State Parks, if the hunters um, you know, didn't want the deer or whatever, we could we would donate them to hunters humping the hungry. Yeah, my neighbor does that. He's mm-hmm. a deer hunter, and he, he takes one a year, mm-hmm. and he donates it to um, a soup kitchen near us. Sure. He takes it to be processed, picks up the packaged meat, and donates it to a task, Trenton Area Soup Kitchen, Yeah, so that's a great year. way, you know, yeah. not only to help manage the herd, not only for the benefit of the ecology, because, you know, these, the deer cause tremendous damage. So to, that's what I wanted to ask you. What is the danger of the herd getting too big? What kind of damage is happening? Why is it necessary? Um, you don't have any kind of plant regeneration. Um, a previous park I've been at in West Virginia where we've done managed hunts is Blennerhasset Island State Park, and it's an island, and they had almost, before they did the hunts, close to 600 deer per square mile. So which, that's Blenner Hassett Island? Yes. And um, that's a park out in western. It's western. It's Western West Virginia, mm-hmm. right? It's an island in the Ohio River. It's in Parkersburg, West Virginia. It's a historical site. Uh, very interesting island. It has a uh, stern wheeler to get you there. So there's What's no a road. stone wheeler? A stern wheeler. Oh, stern wheeler. The paddle wheel that's yeah. on the rear end of a, uh, the stern of a boat. Okay. And so um, there's no roads there, so the guests, at, you actually take a boat ride. It's about a half-hour boat ride to get to the island. Oh, neat. So. so you did the managed deer population there. Yes. And you saw a regeneration of the plant life? Exactly. Um, they had almost 600 deer per square mile, which... You know, that's depending, a lot. Depending who you ask, you know that should be in the thirty deer range. Um, and so these deer were starving to death. They were, oh. um, they were, and hard. they're on an island. They yeah. can't just they, move. Uh, well, they to... can swim, but they don't typically do that unless there's really something forcing them to swim. Um, they, so we had deer on that island that were um, harvested that were um, four or five years old that weighed forty pounds. Oh. And, you know, so that's not, it's not one, I feel it's very inhumane to the deer. They're literally starving to death. And, right. Um, and as well as you can see what they call a browse line. So a browse line is if you're in the woods and you look down through the woods, 
and everything from about what a deer can reach down. It's gone. And you can see through the woods. The natural woods should have understory and okay. you know, should be thicker than that. So when so, they started that program there, how long did it take you to see the regeneration? Oh, it's still going, going. And that's been, um, well, like about 16 years they've been doing mm -hmm. hunts there. Um, so it takes a long time for the, everything to recoup from that. So. so was Blenner Hassett one of your assignments? When when you, you were in Delaware as a state park employee, how did you end up here in West Virginia? Well, uh, I was kind of looking around for full-time employment, and that's kind of part of With it. benefits. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And part of the um, getting into this line of work is there's not a whole lot of jobs out there. It's fairly limited. Um, so you kind of got to be willing to move um, to where the job is often. Um, so I was looking in Delaware, some in Maryland, West Virginia. And so uh, my first full-time superintendent position, which was the assistant superintendent at Blennerhassett Island, um, was the first job I was offered. So, you know. So you took so, it. So I took it. So um, <laughs> I'm, we moved, um, my wife and I, and uh, oh, it was about 500 miles probably. Yeah, uh, to Parkersburg, West Virginia, and started my career as West Virginia State Parks. Then that was in so you didn't you didn't live on the uh, park then, Blennerhassett. You didn't live there because it's an island with no roads or anything. Right, I did not, but our superintendent did. We, he there, did. There is a house there, and it was a female, and um, she probably lives, a girl camper. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> She, oh, there's all sorts of stories because, of course, the river freezes, the river floods, and... Um, and, and there's no store to run to? No, not, 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 so there's been numerous times where people have been flooded in over there, and, um... Oh, I'm going home to look yes. up Leonard Hassett. Yes. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for that because Great. this, th that sounds like a cool park. It is a very unique park, for sure, and it's So you came there and you were the assistant superintendent? Correct. And then how long were you there? I was there as the assistant superintendent for four years. Um, then I moved on to Cooper's Rock State Forest, which is right outside of Morgantown, West Virginia. And I was there as the superintendent for two years. So that was your first superintendent job? Correct. Right. Uh, the epitome of park service. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> and so, and, and then you came here? Well, then actually, then I went back to Blennerhassett as the superintendent. So did you live on the island then? No, I did not. I told you them couldn't I'd go talk back. your wife into no, it? No, no. My wife would not go for that. So <laughs> I told them I would gladly take the superintendent position, but there's, I couldn't live, didn't want to live on the island. And at the time, the assistant there really wanted to live on the island. Cause so he good was trade. Young. He was young and adventurous. and So, yeah, so yeah. He, he enjoyed living on the island. And then I moved after um, two years there as the superintendent, I moved to Blackwater Falls as the assistant superintendent. Um, in 2014. Okay, so you came here as the assistant superintendent, and we're talking about Blackwater Falls State Park, which I just read online is the most visited state park in the state of West Virginia. Yes, it is, and we get a, a little over 800,000 visitors a year. Wow. And um, that's from, of course, anywhere all around the, the United States, but our, our primary draw, especially for our overnight guests in the winter season, skiing and all that, is, you know, Northern Virginia, uh, D.C., mm. Pittsburgh markets. So let's talk about this park because uh, I'm blown away by its beauty. And we're here um, in the middle of March, and it's still beautiful. Right. I yeah, mean, we're here. in the barren season, and it's beautiful here. We walked down to see the falls yesterday, and I was really excited to see that you guys have something here called the Gentle Trail. Yes, the Gentle Trail is at our overlook, and it's... Um, ADA accessible, so it has, you can, you know, take a wheelchair or anyone potentially that has yeah. bad knees or any kind of mobility issues. Um, it gives you a very nice view of the falls, kind of yeah. from the canyon rim looking down on the falls. And it's only about a 60-yard walk, and it's flat and paved. So, so, but we could hear the falls before we saw it yesterday, yes. and yeah. it is roaring. It is roaring right now. Again, you said you're here in the barren season. You're here in what we jokingly call the mud season, which is... <laughs> 
<laughs> after the snows melting and the and the spring rains. So there so. is some real water going over the falls right now. It was so loud, and we were far from it. Sure, yeah, I can hear the falls and the river from my house in the evening. So, so you were nice enough to put us up at the lodge last night, and I opened my window and I could hear the falls. Yes, you can hear the and the falls and the rapids that are in the canyon below the. Uh, it was so incredible to fall asleep last night listening to the falls that's great and the lodge here each room has a giant picture window so we slept with the um the big uh, curtains open mm -hmm. and the windows up last night and i woke up in the middle of the night and there was this big full uh not full moon but big bright moon and all kinds of stars and i was laying there in bed listening to the falls looking out that this lodge is that's great so beautiful but i don't want to talk about the lodge yet because the, this park has so much to offer so i want to talk about all the things that a person could do here at blackwater falls so let's talk about it by season, Matt. Okay. So we're we're coming here at the end of your winter season, and this is sort of this little uh, period in between, but there was a lot going on here all winter long. This is not a state park that closes its doors for the winter. Tell us what's going on here in the winter, because you've got this beautiful lodge to sure. come to. Yep, we have this 54-room uh, lodge here. We have 39 cabins. Of course, our campground is closed in the wintertime, but... We get um, an average of 150 to 200 inches of snow a year mm. here. We're at about 3,200 feet. So the elevation gives us a lot of snow, of course. Um, and within 10-minute drive of here are two downhill ski resorts, um, a cross-country ski center, um, as well as we have cross-country skiing here. We do um, snowshoe rentals, cross-country ski rentals. And then we also have our new claim to fame here is our sled run. Uh, you showed is, me that video, and I missed it by a week, right? Right. Because exactly. it was 80 last week, exactly. this fluke warm weather, and, and, the, and the sled run is closed now. But tell us about that sled run, because that looked like so much fun. Oh, it is a blast. It is a 1,500-foot-long, um, in essence, a ski slope. Um, we do rentals, and we what you do is you buy a... a lift ticket it's a two-hour session you get a sled along with the lift ticket we have um, a 1400 foot conveyor belt that carries you to the top and then you uh, slide down and you have a two-hour session we usually have a bonfire outside and of course we do the How chocolate fun. and the, i've got and to come here next winter, next winter. because i heard there's also ice skating here Canaan Valley State Park, which is right next door, which again is one of the uh, downhill ski resorts that I was mentioning. Um, they have a only, rink. They, they have an ice rink there. They also have the uh, cross country skiing as well. Timberline Resort is another downhill resort, which is mm -hmm. right next door to Canaan. And then White Grass um, Cross Country Touring Center is in Canaan Valley as well. So, so just so our listeners know, what does a two hour lift pass cost for the sledding? It's uh, $22 on weekends. It's a little bit cheaper if you're um, a guest here and you show your key. Um, Room key. It's, it's several dollars cheaper than that. And then we also do group rates uh, for groups of 10 or more. Yeah. Is a, is a, is a discounted ticket as well. Um, and, again, that's um, for a two-hour session. And it seems like a short time, but I'll tell you, by the time you're done two hours of that, you're, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're tired and cold and everything else. We had a time. little pond at our old house. And I said to my daughter one day, it was really cold. It, it has to be um, in the teens for like three days. In New Jersey, that doesn't happen too often. Right. So our pond was frozen. In order to safely skate on it, you need an inch and a half thick ice. Mm -hmm. I had researched all this. So I said to my daughter, let's get a fire going. I was homeschooling her. Let's have all the kids over and we'll ice skate. Uh, by the time I finished shoveling right. the pond, I was half dead. Right. <laughs> it's not easy. You sure. know, it was only like a, a little inch and a half of very powdery snow on it, but... <laughs> was dying that that was a lot of work you know so i was sitting on a bale of hay watching the kids by then i was like sure. done but yeah. it's it's we have a lot of fun up here in the winter um like you said we are pretty much four season up here we have there's something to do year round um, so it's we're heading into spring now mm -hmm. if you're coming here what would you be doing in the spring uh, in the mud season in the mud season <laughs> well hopefully you get bring some good shoes and good boots but um, not only, of course, all the trails that you could ski in the winter, you can hike and bike in the summertime. Now, how many miles of trail are in the park? We have over 25 miles of trail here on the park, and a lot of those also interlink with 
trails that are on the Monongahela National Forest. Which we, borders this this park? Correct. The Monongahela National Forest is over 900,000 acres, and we are kind of nestled right in it, um, as well as, of course, we link to Canaan Valley State Park. We have uh, Little Canaan Wildlife Management Area, which is another property mm-hmm. managed by DNR. Um, and, and DNR is? The Division of National Resources. Okay. Which is what parks is on the West Virginia Division after. I see. Okay, so the Blackwater Falls here is 2,500 acres, which isn't huge, but we're sitting here in the middle of this beautiful park and we're looking at all these rolling vistas, so you're surrounded by all this protected we and are, preserved land. Exactly, and all that land is open to the public use. Um, you know, we are in Tucker County, West Virginia, and the majority of the land in Tucker County is public land. Um, oh and my so, goodness. and all of that has trails. Again, we um, have 25 miles of trails here, but again, it links into hundreds of miles of trails. So, so tell me about the trails, because this is Blackwater Falls, because I saw the falls last night, but it's not the only falls on the property. What other waterfalls exist in the, pro- in the uh, park here? There's um, a falls called Ellicala Falls, and that's located right here near our lodge. Um, and then there's a falls called Pendleton Falls, which is on Pendleton Run, which is the outflow of our lake, which is called Pendleton Lake. And the, both of those falls are not as high of a single drop as Blackwater Falls. What's the drop on Blackwater? Blackwater Falls is 57 feet high, and so that's one large drop. Now, the other falls have more of a cascading type of falls. I saw a picture of them, and um, Jessica, the director of the Center for Visitors Bureau, is taking us over uh, okay. later this afternoon. but. So what I was really excited about is there's a couple of different places in the park where you're able to view the fall. So on the gentle path, you can look out. And so if you're, if you're not in the physical shape you need to take a big hike, you're not prevented from seeing the falls. You've got that nice lookout across the valley. Right. It's not the valley. It's a gorge. Gorge, we call it. Sure. The gorge. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, Canaan Valley, right? right. So, um, Canine. Canaan Valley. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. not the biblical. It's spelled the biblical. Spelled way. like the biblical, which was you typically hear pronounced Canaan. Yeah. But it's uh, the local. Everyone here calls it Canaan. So if you don't, yeah. if you want to blend, you're you going to call it Canaan. Call what the locals call it. Canaan. Canaan. So tell us about the hike where you can get down, sort of under the falls. Sure. What, uh, on the other side from the general trail, um, we have, well, we have an area called, we call the trading post and that's our big gift shop. And in the summer we have the snack bar and again, all the kind of place to hang Fun out stuff. and picnic and all that. And then, uh, we have a boardwalk path that takes you down to the falls. It's, um, 214 wooden steps that go down. So again, you know, it's not overly long hike. It, you know, if you're decent at walking, you know, mm-hmm. moving pretty well, you can make it in five or ten minutes. Um, All right. You know, but it has a lot of steps. So again, if you have bad are there little benches there. built in along the yeah, way? There is. There's okay. rest, some rest stops. Because there might be people who need who well, want it sure. who want to do it, but they you can't sure. do it all in one swoop. Well, and going down is easy. Going down is easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm good so, at going yes, down. Exactly. So it leads you down to pretty much the base of the falls, and it gives you, um, you know, a closer up personal look at the falls and it leads right down to the base of it so right now the falls are really flowing and it's very loud what is it like when you're down there in august uh, well and that's every time you come to look at the falls it's a little bit different this time of year it's going to be really high flowing um in the summer it can get down to a trickle virtually um to where and then in the winter it, it can be totally frozen I saw a beautiful picture in the lobby here mm-hmm. that someone took, and uh, Lois from Reservations here was explaining, someone took a picture of the falls in 1964, and it was virtually frozen. Mm-hmm. And someone, they sent it to someone, and they did a big oil painting, which hangs in the lodge here. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it is... You know, every Always time you come, different. If you're in the area, you need to stop and check the falls, because every time it's a little bit different, and... And you get to see something. Um, sometimes you don't even see any of the rock outcrops because the water's so high; it just is going right over top of it. Also, it's yeah, different. it's pretty pretty cool right now. I took a little video of it. Okay, great, great. <laughs> I did. I'll put it on on girlcamper.com. So, Matt, I want to go back to a superintendent's job because you wear a lot of hats here. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, we do. You know, somehow I think people must have the idea that, you know, you're super busy in the season, but there is no season here. There's This park is used year-round. There's no off-season. No, there is not. We have about three or four weeks in the spring and three or four weeks after the leaf change in the fall that, you know, we are a little bit slower uh, as far as our occupancy and everything like that goes. But it is definitely a year-round park. And we, as superintendents, uh, we live on site. Um, so is that a good thing? Well, it is a it is a benefit of the job. A perk. I would yeah, think that's is. a job perk. Look at your backyard. Absolutely. I have a beautiful backyard, and, and it is a perk. Uh, the commute's great. <laughs> <laughs> I walk out my door, and I'm And I'm you're at work. work. So that is that is a good thing. And, and it can be... Um, difficult at times you know because again it's hard to you're at work uh, you're at work all the time and um, often we're called out in evenings for um, what would what what a reason that you know if you're on site for a reason they need someone here so what would you get called for at like 10 o'clock or two in the morning why would someone call sure anything from um, you know in the winter we have maybe a car slid off the road in the ditch Mm. on the ice um Something to that effect, or as simple as a smoke detector is going off in a guest cabin, and All right. we go and figure out what's going on with that. Okay. Um, you know, or their their the dish satellite TV is not working. You know, <laughs> anything from. Yeah. Um, of course, as part of our job, we are also law enforcement, and again. That, so you're you're law enforcement. So do you carry a sidearm? We are certified to carry. Uh, we are issued state firearms. Um, again, I so you get all the training for that. Sure, we go through the training. We go through training four times a year, and we have to qualify twice a year. And so, what would be a so, reason here you would need a sidearm? Um, again, here I keep. Um, I don't wear mine daily, um, and I let the let the circumstances dictate what you know. What, so, what's do you needed. get calls from people who are frantic because there's a bear on their backyard, um, or because yeah. you've got beautiful cabins here? Sure, we have um, cabins here, and of course, anytime where you have cabins and/or campgrounds, you have trash. And whenever you have trash, you're you have, have bears. bears. So, yeah. So certainly, you know, we get calls maybe about something like that, and and you know where I would you know want to be wearing my firearm if I'm going to look or deal with. Now you wouldn't be shooting the bear; you'd be scaring it off. Sure, but I. Again, but if it I were aggressive, exactly, and I look at that way. Um, often if I get called out for something potentially law enforcement related, um, which again here is very rare and it's, you know, we are, it would be more like wildlife management. Sure. And again, or, you know, if, you know, if, if a guest gets nervous about something, I'm trying to even think of a hypothetical, but you know, Mm -hmm. where I get called out and I'll, you know, Mm -hmm. wear my farm. And again, that's just, I think more for my protection. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, so here you are, your your law enforcement, your crowd management. I mean, you're in charge of making sure all the guests at this park are safe. Sure. Safe and having a great time. So we do. Right. So yeah. there's always a wild card in a group, some guy who's, you know, drunk too much and, sure. you know, like that you have to escort off the property. And Right. And exactly. And that's the circumstances. Again, if we get a call out to where... And again, it's very rare here, but if we do get a call um, from a guest, uh, or often it's through our front desk, because I guess, you know, of course, all our guests call the front desk for a problem that they may be having. Um, And if I'm going out to see what that situation is, often I don't know exactly what it is. And so that is a situation where we would go with our, we call it our law enforcement hat. You know, we yeah, so you're just going to look a little more intimidating. Right, sure. And, 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 and you or mean business. Calming yeah. To the people that are dealing with that circumstances. Right. Um, like the law is here. This is under control. Sure, right, right. And again, calming, like, um, for example, here, uh, we have the national forest surrounding us, which allows hunting. There's no hunting on the state park. But sometimes um, a guest may call and say they heard a gunshot. Now, chances are, I know that's probably a hunter on this national forest. Adjoining that, property. A, adjoining property that it's a, far enough away that it's not an issue. But I will go out with, you know, I'll put my duty belt on and I'll go out and I will talk with the guests and confirm that there's no, no danger. And often that is me wearing that law enforcement hat Comes, you know, lets the guests know that there's yeah. somebody paying attention and there's yeah. and this is under control. They know about it. Yes, and and helps them feel safer. 
Yeah, I, I would I would feel safer. Sure. So the grounds here are extensive, and you guys have beautiful roads here. I would imagine in big storms and ice storms, you got a lot of downed trees, and so you have to. Are you in charge of the maintenance and plowing? Is that a hat you wear too? Absolutely, and uh, of course we have maintenance staff and um, department. But it's your job so as the superintendent to make sure. Make that sure it's getting done, and and checking with my supervisors of the different departments that we have to make sure that. Uh, Everything's being taken care of, and of course, you know, like I said, we get a lot of snow up here, so plowing's often a problem. Mm -hmm. um, down trees on trails and or power lines and roads, and um, this park in particular was hit very hard with Superstorm Sandy, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Oh yeah, being from New Jersey. Oh yeah. Um, and our problem here was not the flooding, but the snow. Superstorm Sandy brought us uh, over two feet of snow oh, in a 24-hour period, and it was. Um, leaves were still on the trees and it was a wet heavy snow and so um, we had down trees the park was actually closed for almost two weeks the lodge here didn't have power for 14 days so. so is that unusual for the park to actually close that was a major event that was a major event it's very rare for the park to close it's not all that unrare for us to lose power uh, okay from time to time um, but for that extent of a time certainly so the cleanup from that was big oh uh, the cleanup from that was months so let's talk about the park for a minute in its history uh, how long has this park been here when, when did this become a state park um, 1955 this became a state park um, what was it before then oh uh, well that's it was private property and it was donated to the state um, oh, wow. I think that they realized that the falls was such a unique feature that it needed to be you know protected and preserved um, of course this whole area was heavily logged and mined and the turn of the century um and, and it's so, still mined here in west virginia yeah west virginia yes, yeah yes, not not here on the not park here, yeah yeah close by but there is mines throughout west virginia and it's of course the timber industry is still active in west virginia um but it's being done a lot more responsible now than it was uh, at the turn of the century. I saw that coming in because, uh, you know, I always like to just get off the highway and take the back roads. And, and I saw the trees being taken off the mountain. Mm -hmm. But then next to it, I could see the, the mountain that was bare and all the new trees coming up. Mm -hmm. So they just are rotating. Exactly right. And and Responsible management exactly, of resources. Exactly. And, and timber management and forestry in general is the one renewable resource we really have. Uh, as far as um, you know, if you manage it correctly, it's an, mm -hmm. it's a resource we will have renewable. Into, yeah, into the future. So once we take that coal out of the ground, it's gone. Right. Well, it takes a long yeah. make. <laughs> it takes so, a long time yes. to make. So, what is the history of this area? Who who discovered the falls? When when did the falls become a destination? Well, the first known European uh, to see the falls is 1746, and then really when it it became popular was in 1853 there was an article published in New York regarding the adventures into the Blackwater Canyon um, so that really put it on the map as a you know unique feature and something yeah somehow then then people reading that said this is a place to go sure and of course at that time it was pretty remote to get here so it really wasn't you know taking off per se uh, the first roads into the town of Davis which is just down here at the park entrance uh, were the first paved roads reached were 1911. Okay. So, you know, industry kind of, once the roads came and once the railroads came, and, you know, that is really when it, you know, it mm -hmm. really took off as far as a, um, as a tourist destination or to, to go see. And people looking for outdoor adventure, because I would imagine this was a hunting destination. Sure, it was hunting and fishing and, you know, yeah, that so the real outdoorsmen, this would have been... Right, and that the first you know written accounts, like I said, was published, and they were coming out of Cumberland, Maryland. You know, so you're talking week long expeditions to get into this area. Yeah, this um, yeah. And so you know that was pretty remote ground to get into. So this became a state park, but whose idea was it to put this beautiful lodge here? Well, that was um, again in the mid '50s. They the state of West Virginia sold some bonds. Um, and those bonds helped to fund several state parks. Um, they helped fund the lodge and the cabins, the, what we, we call the classic cabins here. Um, they also helped fund the lodge at Kikapin State Park, which is in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia um, near Berkeley Springs. And then it also helped fund um, a lodge 
that is right outside of Morgantown called Montchateau State Park, which is no longer a state park and no longer managed under the state park lodges. But um, both. But the lodge all, still exists. The lodge still exists. It's actually, um, I believe, USGS, the Geological Surveys. Okay. Is housed in there. So the lodge here is, did you say 54 guest rooms? It's 54 guest rooms. And, and I got to say, it. I don't want to say it's dated. It it's a, it's a country lodge. It's quaint. It's so quaint. Yeah. I it's got old-fashioned screen windows. I love that it's not updated. Right. I I feel when I'm here like I walked in that room last night and I thought, "Oh gosh, this is a flashback to a vacation as a kid, you know. The windows are big beautiful windows. Everything is a beautiful vista. It's clean, it's comfortable. Your whole great room here with the big fireplace and where you can go and work on a puzzle. It's just uh, Yes. It is, it's a throwback to, oh, gosh. and I think in a good way. I in really in the so. best possible way, right. Matt. I, I just want to spend a week here. I, I, if this had been on my radar, I definitely would have used this as a family vacation. What a great place to take your kids. The, the park is beautiful, but the, that you don't have to tow a camper here. Absolutely you, not. And so there's two kinds of cabins here. You have the old-fashioned guest cabins. Tell us what those are like, the original cabins that sure. you had here. Yep. And those were built in 1955, and they're still the same cabins. We have 25 of those cabins. They um, have all the amenities you would need. They have full restrooms, they have the full kitchens, electric and everything. The only thing they lack in, is a phone and television. Mm -hmm. Oh darn. Oh darn, right? So but they have a, big wood-burning fireplaces. Have, they have beautiful stone fireplaces. We provide the wood as part of the rent. <sighs> Heaven. Um, yeah, so you Heaven. come here in the fall or the winter and cool nights. Are they open year-round, those cabins? Year, absolutely. So. Uh, Are you open during Christmas? Absolutely. We're very busy during Christmas. Oh, my gosh. That would be like a country Christmas. Absolutely. Just, oh, my gosh. We have uh, guests it would bring, be so fun. bring their Christmas tree and everything, put lights on the front porch of the cabins. And oh, my gosh. Now, oh, okay, my mind is spinning with that. Now that, <laughs> so, that And then you could go ice skating and sledding. What a great place to spend Christmas week. Absolutely. You know, and Christmas. I bet you have to book that way in advance. We, we do fill up Christmas. You know, the holiday weekends typically, you know, we book up even in the winter, I guess, because, again, that's the, the winter destination. So you've got those good old-fashioned um, uh, cabins mm -hmm. that were built in the 50s, but now you've just put in we new cabins. We have some modern, more modern cabins. We have one other cabin that's located with the 50s-era cabins, um, and it is a um, handicap-accessible uh, four-bedroom cabin, and mm -hmm. it has, um, again, no TV and television, but it has a um, gas log fireplace two bathrooms so it's mm. you know a nice you know little and that was built in the late 1990s um, and then in 2000 we um, built uh, 13 new cabins and we call them the deluxe vacation cabins they are all four bedrooms they are all two bathrooms they have the wi-fi they have the satellite tv and the flat screens the full kitchen, the dishwashers, the, wash, the washer and dryer. Oh, wow. So they have the... I just peeked in the windows because sure. I'm staying in one of well, those. We're gonna, we'll take you over and let you look in one. <laughs> oh, that, but what I really loved, Matt, when I peeked in the window is that it has that big fireplace too, big stone fireplace, even though it's gas logs. Right, it's gas logs, but it's it's nice. You, got you the get little, the feel. You push the button and it lights yeah, for you. Yeah, heaven. And, uh, uh, those those also have you know big nice deck on the back um, as well as the um, a firing in the backyard for the summer you know in the when it's nice outside you can go mm -hmm. back and have a campfire and roast your so you don't have to be at the campground if you're in a cabin you can still have that experience exactly right you can go out and roast the marshmallows and sit around the campfire so. Well, Matt, I want to thank you so much for being here. I met Jessica Scrocroft at the, she's the director of this uh, Visitors Bureau mm -hmm. here in Canaan Valley in Tucker County. Tucker County. And um, she started telling me about this, and right away I seized on the idea that this would be a great place to camp like a girl. And you guys have been so welcoming, and everybody is so excited to come here. But I, I want everyone to know that this is not for girl campers. This is for, there's something here for everybody. And if you're a full-time RVer and you're passing through, put this on your list. It's a must-see. It absolutely mm -hmm. is. It's so underrated. And I have heard that West Virginia has been referred to as the Grand Canyon of the East Coast. And it's, it's absolutely true. It's beautiful. And, and certainly within a short drive of, of here, there's 
tons to do and see. I mean, we have Santa. You'd have you'd have to spend a lot of time here to. Absolutely, you you'd have to be a repeat visitor. That's it. That's well, Matt, we thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited about our trip, and I'm going to be putting all these links of these places you told us about in the show notes, so our our listeners can go on and um, make this part of their vacation destination plan. Absolutely, and if your listeners are coming in for this weekend, we're looking forward to seeing them and. Now we get a chance to meet them. I hope so. Okay. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks. Take care. Well, that is our show for today. And I want to thank our guest, Matt Baker, for being with us today and for the wonderful tour you gave us of your beautiful park. I also want to thank my producer, Stephanie Puglisi, for putting this show together. Stephanie and her husband can be heard every Friday on the RV Family Travel Atlas podcast. I really enjoyed their gear guide this week, and I put a few things on my own wish list after listening. They also can be heard every Wednesday on Campground of the Week. And that is the whole roundup of the RV Family Travel Atlas Podcast Network. Tuesday, Girl Camper. Wednesday, Campground of the Week. Friday, the RV Family Travel Atlas Podcast. And I also want to correct something I said earlier in the show in the news roundup. I said that... Blackwater Falls State Park was 2,500 square miles, but it's 2,500 acres. Usually I don't catch those things until I listen to it a week later and then it's too late to correct it. But anyway, 2,500 um, acres at Blackwater Falls State Park. And so I want all of you to have a blessed week. Thank you for listening this week and I'll be back next week.